Zach Schamberg is president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, which represents many long-term care facilities serving the elderly all across Pennsylvania. I hope you find our conversation enlightening. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. And uh, today I'm talking with Zach Schomburg. Uh, Zach is with the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association. Zach, uh, thanks for joining me here on Brews and Views. Matt, thank you for having me. Well, first of all, Zach, uh, tell our listeners what uh, PHCA is, uh, who you represent, and uh, your job today. Yeah, so the, the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, or PHCA, is a statewide advocacy organization, and we are located right here in Harrisburg, two blocks from the Capitol building. And we really exist, Matt, for one reason, and that's to fight. So we fight for Pennsylvania's long-term care providers. We fight for their frontline staff. And most importantly, we fight for the residents who are entrusted to their care. And that's our senior citizens. Now, Across the state, we represent more than 400 nursing homes, personal care homes, assisted living communities, and other providers. And you know, it really boils down to we are the conduit between the providers on the front lines and our elected officials in state government. We know the issues, we know the challenges, and we work with the state to try to address those challenges. And sometimes it's through legislation, sometimes it's through regulation. And sometimes, such as over the last two months during this pandemic, we're just doing all that we can to simply get our message out to the general public. And I'll tell you, I don't think we've ever had a more important role than we do now because providers, workers, the residents in these facilities have had their world turned upside down by COVID-19 and they need someone in their corner. They need someone advocating for them. And today, that's us. Well, Zach, uh, so let, let's uh, kind of back up and, and start maybe from the beginning here. Uh, as we uh, learned of COVID's arrival in the U.S. and uh, its devastating impact that we saw in uh, a Washington state nursing home back in February, how did uh, your members begin to prepare and respond uh, to what was clearly um, a very vulnerable population. Yeah. So back in February, which seems like a lifetime ago, it, you know, we saw what was happening in Washington state. We immediately reached out to our counterparts there, the association in Washington, as well as the Kirkland facility where the first COVID-19 cases occurred. And we asked them, what do we need to be ready for here in Pennsylvania? What are the challenges going to be? And what steps should we take with our state government, basically, to make sure that providers are ready? And Matt, what I can tell you is what Washington State told us completely came to fruition. And the things that we started fighting for two months ago, unfortunately, we're still fighting for today. So we were told very early on that staffing would be an issue. Because once COVID-19 cases were reported in a facility, staff might get sick 
staff might leave out of fear of getting sick. We knew that PPE or personal protective equipment and the allocation of PPE would be a challenge. Hospitals might be the priority and long-term care providers and workers would struggle to, to receive any PPE from state government. We knew testing would be an issue. And that's something that we're still fighting for today, testing of both staff and residents. And I hope we'll get into it later, but when we talk about nursing homes and long-term care, we're talking about a provider community that every year fights for Medicaid funding. And over the last six years, have received no Medicaid funding increases. So we knew that funding would be of critical importance and we knew it would become a problem. So we started working with the state, with the Department of Health and with our providers to procure those things and make sure that those things were in place. Now, we also directed every provider across the state to start implementing infection protocols, infection procedures, and visitation protocols. So now, and it started back at the beginning of March, all long-term care facilities first restricted visitation, then they went to banning visitation for family members, ancillary providers, vendors. Exceptions are, are being made for those visitors in end-of-life situations, but for the most part, every nursing home, personal care home, and assisted living community is on lockdown unfortunately. Um, we've trained and retrained staff on the use of personal protective equipment if we can get it. We've trained staff on how to help their residents communicate with their family members and loved ones if they can't visit. So that's using Skype, that's using FaceTime and, and, um, and other technologies. And we've tried to implement certain things like cohorting. And cohorting is the ability to create a COVID-specific wing, floor, or in some cases, an entire facility so that providers can keep the virus concentrated in one area. And that's a way to keep it contained, to help with the surge in hospitals if that happens. That was especially true in the Philadelphia area and in the Northeast. So there were many steps that providers took initially. Keep in mind, this was also happening during flu season. So you know, hand sanitizer, um, wiping down of surfaces, those things were happening already. But Matt, as, as we found out, this is really an unprecedented time in our history. And so many providers were really having to learn throughout the last few weeks on exactly what they need to do to mitigate the spread of the virus. So Zach, as uh, your providers are taking these steps and precautions uh, I um, and you said you were reaching out to the Department of Health. What kind of assistance uh, was brought uh, immediately uh, from Secretary Levine or Governor Wolf um, to you and your members, uh, and and how did they incorporate you into their strategy to to mitigate uh, the devastation that we were seeing in Washington and making sure it didn't come to Pennsylvania? Yeah. So, you know, and that's an interesting point because we knew it was going to come to Pennsylvania. I mean, Matt, when you when you look at this virus and you look at our population, Pennsylvania has the third oldest population in the entire country. We have 700 nursing homes. We have more than 1,200 
assisted living and personal care homes, we knew once we started seeing cases in New York and New Jersey that it was only a matter of time before it came to Pennsylvania. And it was all about not necessarily eliminating right away, but containing and mitigating. So one of the first things we did was we focused on staff. How were we going to help equip staff and make sure that our facilities were staffed to care for their residents? We reached out to the Wolf Administration. We teamed up with other associations. We teamed up with the healthcare unions across Pennsylvania. And we asked for staffing relief. Right now, nursing homes have to meet a minimum number of hours for staffing. We immediately asked that, that, that those hours be waived in case providers went below them because that was likely going to happen. We asked for flexibility in the individuals that perform certain activities with proper abbreviated training. In other words, moving nurses around in different positions so that they could help out. Because again, this is really, or, or has become, and, and we saw it from the beginning, an all hands on deck approach. We asked for temporary Pennsylvania licensure to physicians, nurses, and nursing assistants who were licensed in other states who could come to Pennsylvania and help providers here and now. I mean, we believed from the beginning that if West Virginia, Maryland, Ohio, other states weren't seeing the surge in numbers, could we pull healthcare professionals from those states without going through, you know, the necessary or the typical bureaucracy that you'd go through on a, on a normal basis? That was approved. And we also asked for daycare help. I think that's something it's really important to note, you know, when you look at the long-term care workforce, many of our frontline workers are women, many are mothers, many are single mothers, many are minorities who depend on this job for their sole paycheck to support their family. We wanted to make sure that there wasn't going to be a choice between staying home and caring for a son or daughter and coming to work. Um, we work with the Wolf Administration, we work with the Department of Human Services to make sure that child daycare centers could open. Now, here's the problem, Matt, and here's the difficulty. That was mid-March, and truly that's where the collaboration between providers and state officials ended. And that's the tough part about this, Matt. Nobody knows long-term care better than the providers on the front lines. And with every new initiative, with every new program, with every rollout uh, of a new process that is meant to help providers, those on the front lines are not being brought to the table to have the conversation. And I'll give you a great example. At the beginning of the epidemic, the Department of Health entered into a contract with ECRI, E-C-R-I which is a Montgomery County-based virtual consulting firm. ECRI was brought in and touted in press conference after press conference as the be-all, end-all, or the savior for long-term care facilities. And as the cases of COVID-19 were rising, as deaths were occurring, as staff was leaving the facilities, we were told you can count on ECRI to help you. And that's all well and good. Two weeks ago, we got the latest numbers from ECRI. They had visited 70 facilities across the state. 
Now, that may sound great. More than 500 facilities have reported at least one COVID-related case. So using those numbers, they've been to about 15 to 16% of all COVID-positive facilities. If we use the overall number, it's more like 3%. That's not good enough. That's not a good enough answer when we see the numbers, when we see that nearly 70% of all COVID-related deaths are occurring in long-term care facilities. That is not the help that providers would have asked for. And looking back, I wish we had been at the table. I wish our frontline staff had been at the table to say just that. Zach, there are a number of reports that the administration had a plan. Uh, was ECRI their plan, um, uh, but that they had failed uh, really to execute it? Um, and uh, then there are also reports that the governor's uh, uh, health department was not only failing to execute this plan, but ordering COVID positive patients uh, back to uh, their long term care homes, which I'm sure. Uh, only helped to increase the spread. Um, is there truth to these things that they had a plan, didn't execute it, and then the plans that they did execute are uh, uh, probably only exacerbated the problems experienced in these homes? Yeah. So you know there was a there was a um, a rash of articles a few weeks ago. Philadelphia Inquirer, other papers around the state ran an article on the front page that said that. The Pennsylvania Department of Health had a plan but didn't implement it. And here was the plan. And, and, you know, again, you have to put yourself in the shoes of a frontline provider, a frontline worker who was counting on this help. Originally, what we were told was the state would develop a QRT or a quick response team that would respond to any facility with a COVID positive case to one COVID positive case. And once that case was reported, the team would spring into action. You can almost picture a Secret Service-like team coming or a SWAT team coming in, um, investigating the situation, testing, providing PPE, personal protective equipment, making sure things were set up, and then you know going on their way. But again, ensuring that the facility could succeed in caring for that individual and the rest of their population. Again, that was the plan. After the plan was rolled out in about a week, it became clear that the number of cases was multiplying and the quick response team couldn't handle the response. So again, initially we were told, if you have one positive case, call us. A week later, it was 10 positive cases. And two weeks later, sorry, we can't help you anymore. Now. That's fine. And I understand that that can happen, especially in an epidemic, especially in uncharted territory. But again, Matt, this was the help providers were counting on. We were promised that upon our first positive case, this was the help that we would get. And when it didn't come, providers were left in the lurch. And it was the residents, it was the staff, and it was the long term care providers who had to suffer. And that means you've got to procure your own personal protective equipment. You've got to procure your own testing. You've got to um, make sure that you can cohort. But if you can't test, how do you know who's positive and who's not? It just created a lot of different problems. Now, 
fast forward and and you asked the question about mandating COVID positive admissions into nursing homes. In early March, state of New York was the first state in the country to issue the directive that nursing homes had to accept COVID positive residents from hospitals. And the industry went nuts because we knew, again, we knew that this virus is highly contagious, especially in a contained area like a nursing home. We know that nursing homes care for our most vulnerable population as well as the population most susceptible to this virus. So to force a nursing home to take a COVID positive resident, if they're not equipped to care for that resident, was just wrong. New York was wrong. And we told Pennsylvania, you cannot do this. Now, Pennsylvania in mid-March issued guidance that said to facilities, you need to be prepared and you should accept COVID positive residents. And Matt, the first thing we did as an association was we reached out to our membership and said, if you're not comfortable and if you don't have the PPE or the staff or the testing or the ability to cohort, do not take that resident because you are risking the health and safety of everyone around them. Now, the challenge is we don't represent everybody. We have a footprint in Pennsylvania, but we don't represent every facility. So I feel truly sorry for the facilities who didn't get that guidance and who had to take the department at their word and admit someone that potentially could have put others in jeopardy. Zach, I've heard that there uh, were some facilities that had proposed alternatives, um, such as vacant uh, homes or places in which COVID patients could be placed, rather than readmitting them back into the homes. Was the Department of Health working with providers to find these kinds of alternatives? Or um, really, as you said, did uh, the help just uh, stop and and, uh, the lines go go silent? Well, initially, the department talked about or floated the idea of a convention center or a community center. You know, colleges had let out at this point. So could dormitories handle COVID positive residents? Other states took those steps. Other states instituted those steps. I think Pennsylvania saw that we didn't really experience the hospital surge that other states did outside of the city of Philadelphia. So I think any move to use one of those facilities, to use a dormitory, was abandoned when the state didn't see the numbers that maybe they had expected or other states had seen already. So, you know, unfortunately, those ideas or those proposals never came to fruition. Well, Zach, one of the things that um, has come out is that the Wolf administration said they're going to begin focusing on long-term care homes uh, that would include a robust universal testing strategy. Um, uh, News reports have come out to say, well, it doesn't look like it's uh, so robust or universal, and it's created some confusion out there. Uh, Can you explain what exactly uh, they're going to do, and is this going to be helpful Uh, to the providers out there? Yeah, I can certainly try. So last Tuesday, uh, May 12th, the Secretary of Health held her daily press conference and told Pennsylvanians that, in fact, all residents and all staff members in long-term care facilities, that's nursing homes, personal care homes, and assisted living communities, 
would be tested. And not only that, Matt, that they would be tested on a recurring basis. And I can tell you as a representative for the industry, that was music to my ears because absent a vaccine, the two key components or elements of containing and mitigating the spread of this virus are personal protective equipment and testing so that facilities can adequately care for those who have the virus. The secretary made that announcement Tuesday afternoon, then guidance was issued. And to your point, when we read the guidance, we were confused. And needless to say, providers were confused because the guidance states that universal recurring testing is not a mandate. It's not a recommendation. It's a strategy. We have been working for more than a week to figure out what exactly that means for providers on the front lines. You know, I I think it's important to note that as we look around the country and even at our neighboring states, Maryland, Ohio, West Virginia, New Jersey, New York, have all not only prioritized testing for long-term care residents and workers, asymptomatic or symptomatic, they've already instituted the baseline testing. We are still waiting on clarification from the Department of Health, from the Secretary of Health, on what exactly that means. And unfortunately, Matt, what we have interpreted it as meaning is that providers are on their own, as they have been for the last two months. If it's not a mandate and it's not a recommendation, then providers have to procure their own testing kits, which there's a shortage. They have to work with a lab. They may not have an existing relationship. They may have to work with a hospital or health system where they may not have an existing relationship. Again, this raises a number of questions for providers who should be spending all their time at resident bedside caring for those who need them the most. Instead, they're asking questions like, what is the timeline for which we can expect this plan to be up and running? How should we implement it? Where are the testing supplies coming from? How will the National Guard assist us? And again, that's how they're spending their time. It should not be that way. So I wish I had a better answer for you today. I don't. We're working with the Department of Health to try to clarify this. Zach, you bring up a couple of things here um, with regard to um, some of the data that is coming out of the health department. Uh, You know, for weeks upon weeks, we've been seeing that uh, essentially two thirds of all the deaths in uh, Pennsylvania have been in these long-term care homes. Uh, But now that the department is finally being more transparent with uh, the numbers at a granular level, uh, a lot of that data is being called into question where you've got more positives, I think like three times as many positives uh, as you actually have residents in some of these homes um, and that a lot of the data is suspect. But let's let's assume, and, and maybe you can uh, address that issue on the data, um, but let's assume that uh, we are close to two-thirds of the deaths being in long-term care homes. That seems to be a bit of an outlier in the nation. Um, uh, is that simply because, as you noted earlier on, that we're the third uh, oldest uh, state in the nation? Um, but is there a, a reason that uh, Pennsylvania seems to have had um, most of its deaths in these homes? Yeah, you know, 
I wouldn't say Pennsylvania is necessarily an outlier. It, you, you said it, Matt. Pennsylvania is the third oldest state in the entire country. And as I look at other states, including our neighboring states, you know, in West Virginia, long-term care accounts for 80% of the, the deaths COVID-19 related. Delaware is 61%. Rhode Island is 73%. Minnesota is 80%. Virginia and Colorado are both 58%. So uh, no matter how you look at it, the numbers are staggering. And that has been our rallying cry since the beginning. When we started to see these numbers, the data doesn't lie. More than 500 facilities have at least one positive case. And you said it, nearly 70% of all deaths have occurred in long-term care. So you would think that a state response would not just include long-term care, but it would make it the focal point of any effort to try to mitigate and contain the spread of this virus. And I'll give you a, a really good example. A few weeks ago, Governor Wolf introduced his plan for Pennsylvania, and it was all about relief, recovery, and reopening. 12 pages, and long-term care is mentioned exactly twice. How can that be with the data that we're seeing? So two days later, we issued our own long-term care plan for Pennsylvania, and it involves the things and incorporates the things that we've talked about today, funding, testing, uh, PPE allocation. But again, it, it's for a provider on the front lines to see leadership in this state standing up and saying, this is how we're going to get Pennsylvania back on its feet and to totally gloss over long-term care or in some cases completely ignore it. I don't know how we ignore that as an industry. Well, Zach, Governor Wolf and Secretary Levine uh, haven't taken any uh, responsibility for failing to act swiftly or uh, or act robustly in terms of your members' requests. I think that that's pretty clear. Not including you from the beginning or even up to this time. Um, some are going to say that uh, well, this isn't really Wolf's fault uh, or or Levine's fault. The, the this is the operator's fault for failing to protect residents' lives. How do you respond to what inevitably will be a blame game that takes place? Um, we know that the Attorney General uh, has already said that he's launching some criminal investigations into long-term care providers. Um, I, I know you're still in the midst of dealing with this, um, but uh, this is going to be a debate, I'm sure, that's going to be happening for quite some time. Yeah, I think it's going to be happening not just here in Harrisburg, but in every state capital across the country and especially in Washington, D.C. Here's what I'll tell you, Matt. I don't think we can afford to play the blame game. And when you say that we're going to be dealing with this virus in long-term care for quite some time, that's exactly right. And until there's truly a vaccine that can be implemented by long-term care providers across this state, this virus will be a part of nursing homes, of assisted living communities, and of personal care homes for the foreseeable future, not just for the next few months, but maybe even for the next year to 18 months. It's, it's interesting to note that the problems and the difficulties that we've been talking about as an industry for years have simply been compounded and exacerbated 
by this virus and by this epidemic. You know, I, I mentioned it earlier. When we talk about nursing homes, we're talking about a provider group that has more than 70% of its daily care paid for by the Medicaid program, a Medicaid program that has been woefully and inadequately funded for the better part of the last decade. We've been asking for prioritization. We've been begging for support for years, and it hasn't come. And it's unfortunate that it took this epidemic to put the spotlight on long-term care, but I'm not ready to play the blame game for anyone right now. We are very much in the midst of this, and I hope that as we continue to examine long-term care through this, that we make a concerted effort to give these frontline workers, give these providers, and most importantly, these residents, the support that they truly, truly deserve because it wasn't there before. Zach, we're not likely to have much time uh, before uh, you're dealing with another flu season and quite possibly the return of the virus, particularly given uh, the way in which we've gone about trying to fight this. Um, we've really just uh, uh, extended um, some of these challenges. Uh, what are what are some of the lessons, I guess, that uh, you all have learned, your members have learned? Um, uh, because, uh, like I said, you're you're probably going to be dealing with this uh, come uh, this fall, and and how uh, can we make sure we don't have some of these same challenges and problems that we've experienced uh, here in uh, the first part of 2020? Yeah, and it's something that every every long-term care provider across the state and likely across the country is is thinking about right now how to implement those things. You know, I'll go back to your podcast last week with Representative Seth Grove, and he said something really interesting that rings true, that long-term care is the second most regulated industry behind nuclear power in this state and in this country. So with an industry that is so regulated, there is such a dependency on those regulators, on that regulating body to work together and to collaborate. And it goes to the question that you asked me earlier about collaboration. I think it is imperative that we open the lines of communication, that we work with the Wolf Administration, this Department of Health, and the federal government as well, to make sure that providers have the tools that they need whether it's testing, whether it's personal protective equipment, whether it's the correct guidance that will allow providers to succeed, keep their residents safe and keep their staff safe. I think it is 100% contingent on that working relationship. Well, Zach Schamberg, he is president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association. Zach, uh, really appreciate your coming on, uh, Bruise and Views, to um, give your perspective on this. And uh, we wish you all the best in taking care of um, your residents and the people that depend on, on your care. And we certainly hope that uh, the lessons that uh, we've learned, that we learn them well and be able to uh, mitigate these uh, serious challenges that you faced uh, here in the first part of 2020. As we know, it's uh, probably going to come back here in the latter part of this year. But uh, thanks for your work and, and thanks for coming on to shed a little light on what's happening in these homes across Pennsylvania. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity. And I would just say thanks to every healthcare worker, every frontline worker today who are putting their health and safety on the line every day 
to care for our most vulnerable residents. So Matt, again, thanks for the opportunity. Amen. Thank you, Zach. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.